Good morning, Lighthouse family. We are excited to sing about the never-ending love of God. Would you stand and just rejoice in that love that never fails and will never leave you or forsake you?
careful that you don't let go, God. No matter what happens, you are there. In the dark night of the soul,
sometimes we don't even know. That there are times when we, we, we don't understand it, but God, we know that it comes in like a hurricane when we don't even understand it. And we are so, so grateful. So God, speak to us this day. Let us hold on to you. Let us accept that fierce love. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please hey. be seated? Pastor, before you get started, I'm going to ask something. Uh, yeah. I'm going to ask the elders to come on up for a second. Hey, Rich. I'll get out of the way. Yeah, there you go. I'm going to ask the elders to come up for a second. And I'm going to ask my brother Rich to take over. There you go. Well, good morning. I got to, by the way, I just want it known that I got to take over for the pastor for a minute, and I'm very grateful. I just wanted to say it. That's good. Go good ahead, morning, Rich. This is the interactive part. Can you hear me? Okay. Good morning, Lighthouse Church. How's that? Can you hear me now? Okay. Good morning, Lighthouse Church. All right, for those of you that don't know, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And we're here to uh, honor our pastors. If I can get Pastor Eric, Pastor Jeff, Kathy, and Jen uh, to come up on the stage. I'll make this quick because I know uh, Josh is preaching today, and I saw the busloads of people getting out to come into the church, so we don't want to disappoint you. We want to make it quick. Um, we're very fortunate to have both these men and their wives as our pastors. But they're supported by a heck of a staff. And I wrote the names down because I didn't want to forget anybody. Robin, Kathy, Jeannie, Marge, Josh, Sherry, and Shelly support these two men. And they do a heck of a job to keep things rolling, to keep things going smoothly in our church. But more importantly, they have two wives that are their rocks and stand by them and minister with them and support them and love them. And so thank you ladies for sharing your husbands with us. And on behalf of the church, we'd just like to present both of you with this, with this gift. You know, it'd be very easy to get up here, and we've done this in the past, and just talk about how great these guys are and just give them a lot of accolades. But I, I think I just want to share a, li a little bit of a more personal aspect. You know, being on the elder board, you know, we meet with them monthly for our monthly meetings, lately twice a month, just so we can start getting things rolling for uh, 2022. The uh, Wednesday prayer group, phone calls during the day, or uh, during the day, sometimes multiple during the week. And, and I just want to share um, the heart of these two men. Tremendous husbands, fathers, grandfathers, that's what's important to them. The church is important to them and how personally they take things. When things don't go right, they look inside at themselves saying, hey, what did I do wrong? And most of the time, they did nothing wrong. It's just their heart and the love they have for, for our church. Um, God has truly, truly blessed us with both Pastor Eric and Pastor Jeff uh, as our pastors. Uh, they complement each other. They do a great job, and the, and the most important thing is they keep the focus of loving God, loving each other, and loving our neighbor as the primary focus in this church, to push the gospel forward so that everybody uh, within our community knows the Lord. 
And that's, that's her purpose, that's her focus, and that's her goal. So with that, gentlemen, we'd just like to present you and your wives again with a small gift. Shouldn't say, I shouldn't say small gift, a nice gift. Where's Pastor Jeff? <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, I would just like to ask maybe two of the guys, just for the sake of time, Mark and uh, Randy, if you could just pray for both our pastors and their wives, please. Father in heaven, we are um, so, so blessed uh, with these men. And their, their hearts are for you, and they're fantastic examples. And as already been said, it's, uh, it's just amazing to see two very, very different uh, individuals, uh, different perspectives, uh, just brought together uh, under you, and uh, it is amazing to sit on a board where we are all unified, even though um, we have varying opinions on things. So, uh, Lord, just bless this church, bless our pastors, uh, protect them. We are so grateful for them. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you, Lord, for bringing these two men to this church. They give their heart and their soul, they give up their time, they walk away from their families, and they stand here before you and give out and pour out their love, their love for the Father, for the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're very grateful. You have blessed this church for decades, but this decade is special. So we thank you that we have these two men, their wives and their families here in this church to guide us, to show us what the word's all about. And they do a wonderful job. They have two different styles, and that blends in real, real nice here. So, Lord, thank you very much. We say these words in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Josh, it's all yours. <laughs> Oh, you guys enjoyed doing that way too much. Uh, something that Rich mentioned that I, as Josh is getting ready, and I'm really excited that he's going to be teaching this morning, but a couple of things. Rich mentioned that we are a church that is really driven by three focuses, that we love God. That's the primary reason that we're here, is to connect with him, to have an encounter with him. Um, secondly, it's to do life with one another, to, to be you know, life on life, and that's how we are, he really uses one another to sharpen and polish us. And one of the things I'm excited to let you know about is that on Wednesday nights, which is our primary life group night, there's people that are meeting throughout the weeks of both here and in homes, but Wednesday night is our primary gathering night. It's a night that we have life groups, it's a night that we have our youth group that Josh leads, it's a night that we have a children's life group now for our kids, so they're not just going and being entertained while we're in group, but they are actually growing in their own relationship with God. But something that we've added this year that I'm really grateful that we're doing, it's something that the church has done in the past, but we're starting to redo, and that is having a family meal together from 6 to 7 p.m. And we've done it for a couple of weeks now, and i got to tell you, it's become one of my favorite parts of Wednesday because the conversations that are happening around the table, the generations that are there, it's wonderful. And each week it's something different that we're eating together, we need you to show up because whatever you guys don't eat, Josh ends up eating by himself. It's the only one I know that can kind of polish all that stuff off. But I want to invite you guys, whether or not you're in a life group, 
Vanguard, I know we have a lot of Vanguard track people in here. Come and have food. Eat with Josh. Eat with us. Um, and then, you know, go run 10 more miles, whatever. I don't know. Uh, so that's something that's going on. And that is our value as a church community is that we are doing life together because that's how we are being shaped in the image of God. And then thirdly, we are passionate about loving our neighbors. And in the past, one of the ways that we have expressed that in October was to do a trunk or treat out here in the parking lot. Many of you remember that. It grew from something really small for our own little church community into something that became people coming from all over the place for. But here's what we began to recognize. Here's what I began to recognize. The church is not a building. And as much as it is not about trying to get all of you clumped up here so that somehow we can shine brighter on this campus, rather, we are called to empower you to go and shine in the spheres of influence that God has uniquely planted you. And one of the things that God has challenged me about two years ago was the recognition that I was actually pulling a whole bunch of light bulbs out of your neighborhoods and having you congregate in this parking lot so that we could shine really brightly here but to the detriment of your neighborhoods where on a night where we really do want to shine brightly in the darkness you guys weren't there and so conveniently COVID allowed us to be able to say last year we're not going to be doing trunk or treat so be in your neighborhoods this year we would have the opportunity to do so but so it's this year that we're drawing the line in the sand and saying rather than asking you to come here and try to shine on this campus. We want to empower you to go and shine in your neighborhoods. And that means being intentional about the way that you approach Halloween. Rather than it just being something where you just have a good time or you turn off the lights and you go to bed or whatever it is that you would tend to do, I want to encourage you to prayerfully say, how can I love my neighbors in this season? How can I be a light? And let me just give you one picture of what I've seen it look like that, that absolutely blew my mind. Last year, because we weren't doing our trunk or treat here, my wife and I and our kids, for basically the first time in Grayson's 10 years of life, got to go uh, trick-or-treating together. Because typically we would just do it in the trunks here. Um, we were down in Huntington Beach walking down the street of one of our friend's cul-de-sacs, and we came to a house where there was a bunch of people sitting in a circle out in their parking or out on their driveway having a party and then there was a table with all of these baskets of candy on the table and we went up to them and we say hey what's going on and they said oh well we are all the people that live in all of these houses around here and we love to do life together and so we're having a Halloween party but we didn't want people to just we didn't want to put the candy out in front of our house because it'll just disappear so every single one of those baskets on that table represents a house along the street so please feel free to take a piece of candy from each basket and for me that illustrates what I long for in our neighborhoods, that we would be the kind of people who are living our faith out loud and cultivating relationship, not with the end goal simply of dragging them back to church with us. Because remember, we are the church. It's about being the incarnation. It's about reflecting the hope and the love that we have found in Jesus Christ to others and being a light there. So I just want to encourage you this year as we have, are a couple of weeks out from Halloween to prayerfully consider how can you be a light in the sphere of influence that God has uniquely planted you. And with that, I want to invite Josh to come up and share with us from God's word.
church is a joke. We can't possibly represent you, not in grace, love, or anything you do. This church is a joke. They try to put you in their pews, hold hands and sing to the few that look, teach, and believe just like them too. It's got to be a joke. How can you give us this command to love always, giving our enemies the upper hand? Yet when waves crash and hit us where we stand, we crumble and fall because it ain't on brand. Man. Is all of your church, all of your church a joke? Isn't it? Hypocrites filled with hate and fear. Church leaders getting drunk on beer. We stay far not to interfere. We don't know. Their intentions seem unclear. God, I'm just wondering, has the state of your church always been this severe? It's got to be a joke. Because we make ourselves, we make our lives up and then try to put you in. We are so busy, we can't recognize our sin. Your disciples, more like fish without fins, drowning out here because we can't swim, holding ourselves higher than you, still expecting a win. God, I'm ashamed to be called your kin. It's got to be someone better than us. It's got to be a joke, right? We've got to be the joke, see? We've made religion all about me. I'm not really talking about this church, not really, just the people. Worried about who they are or not following. On social media, the source of hypocrisy. Their lives tick tock in ambiguity and they think not unable to be free. Slaves to pain, still posting all the memes. God sees through all the smiling. God knows your brokenness, doesn't he? Lord, you expect much from us to follow what you spoke. But we're imperfect, much like Joseph's cloak. Yeah, you know this is true. We are spiritually broke, soft at the ears and easily provoked. We flee at the first sign of smoke. Yeah, we're scared of women preachers who were spiritually woke. If we swallowed our sins, I bet we'd all choke. And that's why, God, this has to be a joke. I got your attention. Some of you thought you are just going to sit here today. You think you're going to be slapped in the face. Mm. This chapter in John is real. It's raw. There's emotions there. Chapter 18, I just wanted to throw some real raw emotion at you. Wake up. Jesus is here doing a thing that is very real. This story hits. Slaps, as the young one says. And I'm sorry if it's a little raw or unhinged, but if I'm not preaching Jesus to change lives, then I'm not doing what I'm called to do here, okay? Let's get in it. John chapter 18, verse 1. When he had finished praying, someone say, hmm. When he had finished praying, Jesus left his disciples, left with his disciples, and crossed the Kidron Valley. 
On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Ooh, slow down, God. That's a whole sermon right there. Someone say amen. What are you all saying amen for? I didn't say nothing. Make me earn those amens. Thank you. Let me break it down. Maybe you missed it. When he had finished praying, Jesus left his disciples and went to the Kidron Valley. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, there's a story there of King David. King David, I'm just going to shorten it for you because it's a long, there's a lot of stuff there. But King David was betrayed by a very trusted counselor. King David had a son named Absalom, full of sin. He was lying. And in this story of King David, he left the city gates of Jerusalem down into the Kidron Valley, up into the Mount of Olives, just as Jesus did here, just as Jesus was betrayed by one of his disciples, right? There's some parallels happening there. King David's battle against Absalom represents a battle against sin, Jesus is crossing this Kidron Valley to go take down sin. That's good. King David heard about the conspiracy and he fled. Jesus knew about the conspiracy and he prayed. That's powerful. Our human instinct is to run, to protect ourselves, hide, flee, right? Our godly instinct needs to be to pray, Pray into the battles. Pray through those battles. Some of you aren't praying loud enough. Some of you aren't praying bold enough. Some of you aren't praying nearly as much as you should. Come on, that's a reminder. Have you prayed through your battles or are you running from them? The Kidron Valley, it's a very powerful place. It's a, it has a brook, more like a seasonal creek, okay? Um, much like every river in Phoenix, Arizona, is just dirt. It's like that. It's dry most of the year. It's, um, in King David's time, it was dry. If you go visit Jerusalem now, it's dry. But there was one time where it wouldn't be dry, and it's during a festival known as Passover, which happens to be the festival that's occurring when Jesus is arrested. Passover one historian records up to 256,000 lambs were slain. Um, that's a lot of lambs. That's a lot of blood. And they would use blood and water. They would clean the altars. That would filter down and out of the temple into the Kidron Valley. Jesus is going through this watery, bloody scene. Kidron literally means dark Death and despair. Whew, this is heavy. You see that, well, on one hand, you have the death and despair that awaits Jesus just on the other side of this valley. And on the other, and on the other you have this image of this dark, gloomy, uh, bloody stream of animals. Hebrews chapter 9, um, I believe it's 8 through 10, but chapter 9 emphasizes something, a key point talking about blood sacrifices from animals will never take away the sin, but the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ would. This image of Jesus crossing a river of unpure blood that will never take away sin on his way to take down sin and death. Come on, amen, right there. That's good. You grasping the weight of that? Man, 
I haven't even started preaching yet. Verse 1, still. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. That's verse 1. We're just, I'll pause right there. Uh, the garden where Jesus enters, we know to be Gethsemane from the book of Mark. Gethsemane means uh, olive press. They would um, they press down, they crush the olives, and it, it makes olive oil. Do you guys know how Olive Garden got its name? It has nothing to do with this. We're not going to talk about it. But olive oil was a source of income for them. Fuel. I had you there. Go on. I had you there. Um, you know, no way. He's going to preach Olive Garden? Breadsticks? I lost half. the. Now you're just thinking about breadsticks. Lost half of you there. I'm sorry. Olive oil was a way of living for them. It's an exchange of money, fuel, right? That is, that's that's what it is. They go to the Mount of Olives. It's crushed there. Um, the imagery is that Jesus is going into here feeling the weight of sin crushing him as well. The pressure that is used to crush the olives is, is severe, and that's, so is the pressure Jesus is feeling. Um, the book of Mark says Gethsemane, but here it is. it just says a garden. John leaves out the name. And John, the whole book, is referencing a lot of Jesus is Messiah. He had the beginning in mind when he was writing the end. Jesus, I should say John, sorry, just says a garden. Because life began in a different garden. Yeah? It began with the Father in the Garden of Eden. Here, new life begins with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Life began in a garden. New life begins in a garden. Adam sinned in Eden. The second Adam goes to defeat sin in Gethsemane. Adam hid himself from the Father where Jesus presents himself to the Father here. We see the parallels? The garden. Adam failed to resist the sinful nature of the serpent, but Jesus defeats that serpent altogether. Hmm. We go to verse 2, and the story picks up some pace. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with the disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I am he, Jesus said. The Ju and Judas, the traitor, was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Some quick points. This is familiar territory for Judas. Judas is planning this whole ordeal. He knows Gethsemane. He knows the ins and outs. Uh, these guys are expecting a war, a rebellion. Jesus has been shaking up some things. So they're prepared. He knows it. He knows the back ends. He goes, if anyone's going to come, it could be from here. They know what they're doing. He came with a detachment of soldiers. The other books of the Gospels have the same story. They all allude 
to having some great multitude. A detachment is a portion of a cohort. A cohort is a thousand Roman soldiers plus commander. A thousand, that seems like overkill, um, but it's the king of the Jews, quote-unquote. They're expecting more than just 12 guys. Um, the bottom line is they were outnumbered. John doesn't mention the kiss from Judas. That's found in Luke. And I think John was just emphasizing the, the godliness found within Jesus. But why would they bring this big group? Um, I, I mean, I think it's a couple of reasons. He kind of like Jason borned his way out so many times in the past. Um, for those who don't know Jason Bourne, he kind of James bonded his way out <laughs> of their hands. He literally says he vanished and he disappeared in the crowds earlier on. They were trying to seize him in the chapters previous to this. If you guys remember all that, he would heal on the Sabbath. They go seize him and then bam, he's gone. Jason Bourne, bam. It's not Jesus Christ. It's Jason. It's Jesus Christ is Jason Bourne, huh? Yeah. They were expecting a war. These soldiers were expecting um, a battle right here in Gethsemane. They were prepared for a war, but they didn't understand the war Jesus was prepared for was spiritual. He was praying right before this. They brought an army of soldiers, but didn't realize they were still outgunned. Yeah. Some of you need to hear that small nugget of truth right there. We'll just we'll pop, like, take that. Someone needs to hear that you've been fighting some physical battle that's actually spiritual. And someone needs to hear that you feel outnumbered. You feel crushed by the pressure. And you feel surrounded. But our God outguns their weaponry. Our God outguns their weaponry. They can't touch you. Thank you. Jesus says, I am he. When he responded, they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He goes, I am he. The original text doesn't have the word he. And it's actually a translation, I am, from only one word called ego. And it's not ego waffles. It's I am. <laughs> if you had a Greek version of the book of Exodus, and you were looking at a story of Moses and the burning bush, and the burning bush says, he says, who are you? Who am I talking to? Moses asks, and the bush says, I am. It's the same construction of the word. John constantly reflects the beginning and the end through this thing. And I'm, I'm willing to bet, I know, but um, Jesus saying, I am, it, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the same word that was used way back when. That's crazy. That's really cool, right? That's a cool thing. That's a cool connection. Well, it, it's more than that. I don't think it was the same word that God used. I think it's the same word that Jesus used Jesus was there from the beginning. Jesus was in that burning bush. Jesus was there with Moses on holy ground, that power. And when Jesus says, I am here, what does it say they do? They fell to the ground. John puts this small detail in to enunciate the divinity of Jesus, the power that he has. That's powerful. The burning bush Moses was, Moses was standing on holy ground, right? 
And we see this great, this, this glimpse of the great I am. And they weren't just, the soldiers weren't out there, you know, standing on the edge doing the flamingo stretch. They weren't off guard. They were ready for battle. Think of a soldier ready with swords drawn. Things are going down. It's a battle about to happen. And bam, Jesus speaks a word and they fall to the ground. How powerful was that word? How powerful is that presence? How powerful is that? Y'all ain't ready. See, Jesus took claim of the authority he had in God. When you stand in the authority you have in God, your enemies will fall at your feet. Come on. When you stand in the knowing of who you are in Christ, your battles will be no more. You will triumph over those things. Your enemies, they'll be ready for an attack, and they don't realize that God's got a bigger gun. God's got a bigger sword. God's got it all. John starts his book, In the Beginning Was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I like to play with those words, I am. It's one word. The Word was God. I am is his name. God is his name. Words spoke everything into existence, the Milky Way, the thousands and billions upon animals and sea creatures and everything we have. That word speaks. That word pulled Moses and the Israelites out of slavery. That word opened the sea so they can walk right through it. That word is everything. That word uh, took Joshua into Jericho and, and those walls came crumbling down. That word promised sons upon sons to Abraham. The word prophesied Jesus from the beginning. And guess what? That word is searching after your soul. That word wants your heart. Here's the thing. We're getting a lot of words from a lot of places. We're getting a lot of words from Twitter, Facebook, random articles, TikTok, all of it. You name it. We see words all the time. Words hit us in the face when we don't want it to. Like, oh, I don't want that ad. Like, oh, man, that hits us all the time. Do you hear that? Pick a news channel, any of them. That word they're telling you ain't the word of God. Are you giving more time to words of the world than you are of the word of God? Come on. That's huge. All of us do that. You go, oh, they don't, have, they don't have power. If you stand in the word of God, that's authority. If you're standing and giving time to any other word, you're giving that thing your time. You're giving that thing your authority. It has control over you. Oh, I break that in the name of Jesus. It gives you the authority of Christ. Give you the authority of Jesus, the blood of Christ, be on your life and take you further than you've ever gone. Whew. The word of God is power. The word of God, it says, is a double-edged sword. The word of God is, it will be victorious overall. See, Jesus made the people fall now, but he's going to make death fall later. And it's not the first time. In Daniel chapter 10, he speaks of a vision where he, he couldn't stand and he had to fall asleep because what? He heard the voice of God. In Acts chapter 9, Saul fell to the ground when he what? He heard a voice say, why do you persecute me? 
It's not the first time people have fallen in the presence and the power of Jesus' name. Jesus' great I am, that power. The word of God is power. It gives life. It gives new life to its believers. Hmm. Still with me? Let's keep reading. Verse 7 goes on. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And I just, real quick, I just picture this like a Dave, Dave Chappelle skit, you know? Like, he's out there, and he's like one of the background soldiers, and they, they say, okay, yeah, I got my sword, you know? He's like, yeah, oh, yours is only 24 inches, mine's 30 inches. It's all good, though, you know, you're, no, 24, no, it's good, it's good. Sharp? Oh, okay, yeah. And then they get there, they go, yeah, we're looking for this guy, and he falls to the ground after he, and, and he, all of a sudden, he's like, I don't, this ain't what I signed up for. He's like, this Jew just blew us over with a word. We can't do that. Like, I just pictured this whole thing going down. And that's, there had to be some doubts going on in those soldiers. Like, are you sure we want to arrest that guy? He just knocked us all down by saying, I am. That's a little bit scary. <laughs> that's some real stuff going on. There's soldiers happening. And Anyway, okay, verse 8. Focus. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Verse 9, he's, he's protecting uh, says that, you know, let these men go. He's protecting his, his followers. And he said that just before, we talked about, you know, for two weeks we were in the prayer where Jesus was praying. He said this in his prayer that he wants, he's not going to lose not one. It also echoes chapter 10 when he's a good shepherd. He's now laying down his life and he's still giving protection to his flock and he's protecting them from the wolves that might attack. The name Malchus is mentioned. Now, Peter's not, he's a good fisherman, okay? Bless his soul. But he's not a great soldier. He's not a great swordsman. You, it says he lost an ear. There was, a, there was a fight here, okay? There was soldiers. Peter drew his sword. Drawing swords typically doesn't mean you just have the sword in your hand, it means you're actually fighting. There was a fight. He was aiming to kill. He was trying to prove to Jesus, I'm here, ride or die, gangster for life, you know? That's how we do. But he misses, and he only gets his ear. And Luke, Luke in the book of Luke, it says that Jesus actually heals the ear. He just kind of disregards that for um, John, because he says the name Malchus. Malchus is important to John. John is writing to Gentile believers, or Gentile unbelievers, I should say, and he wants them to go ask Malchus about this thing. Ask him when he got knocked down. Ask him about his ear falling off. He says his right ear. Go look at his right ear. It's all off-center. Jesus didn't do a good job. It's all, no, I'm just kidding. He probably did a great job. It's Jesus. He lost some hearing. 
for like a short time at least, go talk to Malchus. If this guy was real, if all of this is real, go ask him what he's thinking. Go ask him what he experienced. You see what John's perspective is? You see why that name is there? That's good. Jesus said, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Uh, this cup, it represents uh, God's will, right? It represents the cross, victory, yet a burden. It's heavy. Uh, this imagery of the, the cup, it's hard to swallow. I said earlier, if we all try to drink our sins, we would choke. And that's the idea. Jesus is the only one that could drink this cup. He's the only one that could handle it for us. Now, as we move more into the story, the pace keeps going. It's more of a narrative. And you have two storylines happening. I'm going to break it down pretty simply. It's Peter and Jesus. All right, now we're ready. Verse 12, then the detachment of soldiers and its commander and Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Now, real quick, Annas is the Jewish mafia. That's it. It's the best way to say it. It's the best way to look at it. He is not the high priest. He was at one point. Now he's just a father-in-law who is in control on the background. We all have one of those. He, if you remember, 256,000 lambs were, were slain. 250,000, that's a lot of lambs. How much per lamb? How many lambs were slain? Who were they selling them to? How many doves are in this festival? How many, all the money exchanges going on? This is the guy running the show. He's doing the money. You see why he's the mafia? He's doing the money. He's doing the stuff. He's all behind the scenes. Jesus directly interfered with his business twice. He's mad at Jesus. So this setting is just set. Jesus' setting is set. We're going to go into the next verses, chapter, uh, sorry, verse 15. It says, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because the disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to go wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty, and brought Peter in. Jesus was bound and brought to Annas for his first trial. We have a setting. And now we see Peter in the place of his first trial. Now we also have a setting. He's in the priest's courtyard where Jesus is with Annas in his questioning. It goes on. We see the first trial now for Peter. Verse 17. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. Now, Peter gets some bad rep for all, all his denials, but you got to give him some credit. He was there in the high priest's courtyard. Um, him and John were the only ones there present. And what I mean by that is all of them were at the garden, but now here are only two all of the other disciples ran away. They're gone. They fled the scene. The ear got cut off, and they're I'm out of here. That's it. Too much blood there. They're out of there. And so you got to give them credit for 
being there. That's a big deal. That's, that takes courage in itself. Um, that was Peter's first questioning. Okay, that was Peter's first trial. Then the story jumps, and we go to see Jesus' first trial. So verse 19. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of his officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, Jewish mafia, lord of the underground dove market? Oh, you guys didn't get that um, translation in there? That's okay. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testifies to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So let's talk about this Jewish uh, mafia interrogation scene right here. Um, by Jewish law, you cannot have a trial at night. We know it's night because the soldiers carrying in all of the people, they were carrying torches and lanterns. It's nighttime. They're not going to do that during the day. Um, you also cannot do any court of any kind during a festival. Passover is currently happening. It's two strikes already. Then the law says the high priest himself cannot question. In this little segment, we saw that he was questioning Jesus himself. That's illegal. Jesus knows it's an illegal trial. And I just picture this. I'm going to run with the James Bond thing. I just picture this like every James Bond movie ever. Uh, there's that interrogation scene, you know. And you have this, um, this thug that just punches you. And then they ask questions. And say, like, hey, man, chill out. And that's what happened. It literally says he got, he got slapped. He got struck. This is an interrogation scene. I don't know if you guys ever read it like a James Bond movie. But here we are. It's almost comical to parallel Peter's and Jesus' first trial, right? You have Jesus, who is, I picture this cavern, maybe like only one or two torches going on, and you got the, the, the high priest who's not the high priest sitting in this high chair, who's not the real high chair, and he's there, and it's just like smoky kind of thing going on, and he goes, hey, he's not, he's not Italian. So I need to see this guy. He didn't talk like that at all. He's like, I need to see this guy. He's like, bring him here first before we send him to the real trial. I need to have a word with him. You see this happening? This is the story. This is what's going on. Obviously, it's not really what it sounded like, but you get the picture. And you have Jesus sitting there like a boss telling him what's up. He's telling me, it's illegal. if you're going to question me, bring in a witness. You're doing this illegally. I spoke openly. You're speaking in a cavern. You're hiding from everyone. This ain't a real trial. That's Jesus sticking it to the man. That's amazing. Yeah, Jesus, go. Then you got Peter cold. And a little servant girl comes. Hey, mister, weren't you with that guy? No. That's it. That's Peter's first trial. And I like to think we would be much like Jesus and James Bond, but I think we're more like Peter. <laughs> and that's sad. But 
Peter's not done with his interrogation scene. The story continues in verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of the, his disciples too, are you? He denied it saying, I am not one of the high priest's servants. A relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. This is Peter's second and third trials. We're going to look at Jesus' next trials in the next couple of weeks. But I want us to sit exactly where the story has us right now. Peter's denials. If you're taking notes, there's three phases of Peter's life. Peter was at the fire, Peter was under fire, and then Peter was on fire. At the fire, he's physically at this fire warming himself up. But if you want to just look at it as a metaphor, Jesus, as we learned, the I am Jesus, the burning bush Jesus, is fire, is power. The entire time Peter was in community, in following of Jesus, once Jesus called him, he was at the fire. Jesus was that fire. Under fire was when Jesus got arrested. As Jesus was arrested, he was questioned. Peter was questioned. Peter was under fire. He was confused. Maybe he was a little emotional and, and vulnerable and not really sure what was going on. He was confused as a, I, I believe you, Jesus, but is this real? I believe you, but was this, is this some sort of joke? I don't know, Jesus. He's under fire. And let me tell you about Peter on fire. Because when Jesus came back, he was the first disciple to see him in person. He watched Jesus get ascended into heaven. And on the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit fell, Peter preached and changed 3,000 people's lives that day. That is powerful. On fire, Peter was unhinged for all the good reasons. Um, Ananias and Sapphira lied to him, and they fell dead. It says his shadow healed the sick. His shadow healed the sick. That's Holy Spirit power, if I've ever heard of it. When King Herod incarcerated him, there was an angel that released him from there so he could keep preaching. And when the Sanhedrin, which are church leaders of the time, responded by beating him, he rejoiced in the suffering for Christ. That's Peter on fire. Peter on fire changed many lives when the Holy Spirit came upon him. Mm. But right now, here in this verse, he's under fire, right? He's hurting. He's confused and frustrated. Oh, come on, church. You, we are under fire. We're hurting. We're confused. Maybe you feel crushed like the Mount of Olives. You feel this weight pulling you in, pulling you down right? Almost like crumbling. Maybe you feel stuck in the valley of Kidron. 
that dark, gloomy space. You're trying to make your way to the Mount of Olives, trying to make your way to the garden, but right now you're in this dark, uh, gloomy depression. You want to make it to new life in the garden, but you still feel ashamed like Adam did in the other garden. Some of you are ashamed. Mm. Maybe you feel outnumbered. You don't know what to do. Man, that's real. Man, that's real. Worship team, get up here. Let's do this. I opened with a spoken word today. Maybe some of you didn't even know what that was. And it wasn't just to grab your attention, but it's to give you an idea of how I think Peter felt under fire. He was, he was a very aggressive man. He's the man who took the first step off the boat to walk on water. He's the guy who tried to fight the thousand men soldier group, right, with, with one guy's ear. And he is a feisty guy. He has passion. He has grit. He's not afraid to go to places and do things and say things and, and try to beat people up even if he, even if he can't. But he's, he's frustrated. He's frustrated with himself. He just denied the man he claimed to love three times. He's hurting. He's in pain. We are in pain. I said some modern day issues because it's relevant to us. And it's relevant to me. I think... I know I would have been the one who fled. I wouldn't have been as strong as Peter. Peter got the opportunity to deny Jesus. I think I would have been one of the ones that was gone, you know? I think I would have been one of the ones that didn't even have the questioning going on. And I think that's where I believe a lot of, a lot of you are today. Maybe at one point in your life you were on fire, but right now it doesn't feel that way. Maybe at one point you were at the fire. Maybe you're going to church. Maybe you've been to church and you've seen the fire. You've seen glimpses of it, but it's not there. It's not yours. You haven't claimed it. You haven't owned it. You haven't stepped into that I am power. You haven't stepped in fully. You fled from the garden. You fled from new life. You find yourself confused, questioning, is it a joke? Is it worth it? Is church worth it? Is this thing real? Guess what, church? Being under fire isn't the final phase in your life. God wants to use you like he used Peter, on fire. How did he do that? Through the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit came on Peter's life like no other. God wants to bring you into that new garden. He wants to lift that weight and stress, anxiety, addiction. He wants to lift that off of your back. He wants to take that off of your soul. He wants to carry you up. He wants to, you know, he'll put you on wings like eagles. So he'll soar. He'll pull you out of the dark valley. <laughs> he says, I already went through that dark valley for you. What are you still doing there? Why are you still in the dark? Get after me. Come after me. 
already took that pain for you. Why are you still carrying your pain? Why are you still carrying your pain? Says Jesus, I, I, Jesus got it. Oh, someone needs to hear that. You gotta tell him, I want that fire, man. I want that fire, Lord. I want that Holy Spirit power, Lord. I want that great I am fire. Mm. Ask him, Holy Spirit, can you dwell in my life like never before? I'm tired of being under fire. And I'm ready to be under, ready to be on fire. Jesus was under fire while he was on fire. Jesus is our perfect example. And it's hard for us to be like that. We're not God. But we've got God within us. We got him within us. He's going to take us places. He's going to make us do things. He's going to make us say things. Tremendous things. Are you doing enough? Is church once in a while enough? Is listening to me once in a while enough? Is listening to Pastor Eric or Pastor Jeff lead a Bible study enough? It wasn't enough for Peter. Peter was under fire, but he was ready to take that fire and run. And he did. He changed so many lives, so many things. So many people. I can't imagine all the stories those people had hearing Peter, the man who cut the ear off, the man who actually denied him preach. I wish I could have been there. Would you all just stand with me today? I just feel this. The power of Jesus is here. Oh, yeah, the power of Holy Spirit is here today. As the worship team begins to lead us into response, I want you to pray to God, sing to God, get right with God, repent before Him. Today is a new day. Mm. You are living within the new garden of eternal life. Oh, but you've been ashamed. You've been like Adam in Eden, who was ashamed. In Eden, he hid himself. He hid himself. Stop hiding. Become who you are. Stop hiding. Do not be afraid. Do not be ashamed. His arms, ooh, his arms have always been open. You've been running the wrong way. Oh, come on, church. Press into that space. Press into his presence. If you can, just open your hands. Posture of receiving. If you're ready to receive it, open your hands. If you're ready for Jesus, open your hands. If you're ready for the Holy Spirit, open your hands. Oh, if you're ready for something new, open your hands. Oh, if you're ready for healing, open your hands. Ooh, Jesus, yeah. Oh, we open this altar of the church. We open the altar of our hearts. Jesus, the altar of our hearts is open. Lord Jesus, I pray a blessing. I pray boldness. I pray no more fear. I pray no more shame. In Jesus' holy name, you start a new thing. 
start a new thing within our hearts. I pray for this church that you would shake us up with divine encounters for you, Jesus. Ooh, set a fire, Jesus. Lord, I pray into this room a fresh fire, a divine fire. That fire Moses saw with the burning bush, that fire Peter was at, that fire Peter was under, and that fire Peter was on. Jesus, come into this place like never before. Jesus, come into this place. Cast away doubt. I cast away fear. Oh, in the name of Jesus, those things are gone. All distraction. Ooh, Jesus, begin to speak with him. Worship him. Talk to him. It's a new day. Jesus, you are here. Holy Spirit, fall on these people. Holy Spirit, fall on your church. Holy Spirit, fall upon us. Holy Spirit, fill us up. Holy Spirit, fill us up. We welcome you, we welcome you. Let your fire fall. We open our hearts for more of you and more of your fire. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you. Come set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control.
you guys feel like you, you, you didn't get enough, stick around. Jeff is going to be in the back. Pastor Eric, myself, will be in the front here. Come find us. Come pray. Come pray. Lord, I just bless this, bless this church. I just bless today. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your fire. Lord, I thank you for the team here, for your presence here, and for the lives that will be changed because of your word. I am. Church, be blessed. Go and tell the world you're on fire now. In your name I pray, amen. You split the seas.